Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is can you believe it? Season two, Woo-hoo! episode one. We are uh, just a few miles today from the U.S. Air Force Academy as we soar into another season. Oh, oh man. That was, that was corny. Retake. That was corny. No, we're leaving that in. I'm Terry, and I'm the church ministries leader for the Alliance. Oh, and I'm Alan. I lead church planning in Eastern PA and coordinate church planning in the Northeast region for Alliance Church Planning. All across America, I hear sighs of relief, or perhaps those are gasps of unbelief <laughs> that we are back for a second season. But I'm sure it was shot, It was just screams of delight. Uh, I think that was it. I think that was it. So we love doing this, and uh, about a thousand listens so far. Yeah. To our uh, first season. And this is of, of March uh, when we're recording podcast. Yeah. So uh, and growing every day. Great to have uh, uh, Kelly in the room with us. And uh, AJ, the hat man, Gutierrez, back for a second season of being our producer. Glad to be here. He has his Miami Heat hat on today. Are they making the playoffs? Uh, I don't pay attention to that. I just love. So, okay. Love is blind. So. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, no. So, that means they're not making the, the playoffs. Let's just say the Heat are probably the, the bright light of Miami sports right now. So. Yeah. Oh, well, man. That's, that's not saying much. So, uh, although they did beat the Miami Dolphins, did meet the New England Patriots. Oh, my word. Keep in mind the season. Super Bowl winning Patriots. Yes, yes. Can't yes. win when it counts. That's, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that, AJ. Thanks for the love. Yeah. No, I said they can't win when it counts. <laughs> Uh, Who cares about the Super Bowl if you can't beat the Dolphins? That's what every Dolphins fan says. Well, now that we've settled uh, the football Super Bowl argument and uh, the basketball playoffs, let's move on with the podcast, which is a great opportunity today. Dr. Tom Rayner. Wow. Perhaps the foremost uh, leader in the area of church revitalization is uh, with us. Uh, He's another guy that I think of as a mentor, though I've never met him, and uh it's because of all of his books. Most recent book is Scrappy Church. I'm reading that right now. Who Moved My Pulpit, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, Simple Church, Breakout Church, Surprising Insights from the Unchurched, I Will, Nine Traits of the Outwardly Focused Christian, Becoming a Welcoming Church. So many great books. Alan? I uh, got to tell you, you know, and I mentioned uh, mentioned this to him, I think, um, you know, breakout churches was really helpful to our church after we had planted a little bit into there. Uh, we got stuck, and breakout churches was really big for us. I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say today. Yeah. So uh, not only is Tom with us today on this podcast, but he'll also be with us at uh, Equipping You Pre-Council on Tuesday, May 28th in Orlando. Hope you all who are listening out there will uh, sign up for that. $30, and it includes lunch. What a deal uh, you're going to get. So with no Further ado, let's move on into the uh, interview today. So uh, grab some coffee, tea, Diet Coke, whatever you'd like, and uh, here we go. So we're pleased to uh, welcome Dr. Tom Rayner. 
to uh, Equipping You podcast. Thanks, Tom, for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Always glad to be here, and you guys have honored me by inviting me, so thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, so you were at Lifeway for a number of years and uh, know that you've transitioned out of that role now. So uh, what's next for you as you uh, continue to seek to serve Christ in his church? Uh, what are your continuing passions, the thing, things that you want to give yourselves self to? I retired from Lifeway uh, effective March 1 of 2019, and so it has not been that long, of course. Grateful for the 13 years I had there. Announced my retirement last August, became effective March 1. And frankly, my, my passion is very simple in terms of the Bride of Christ, and that is helping the bride of Christ to become healthier yeah. and that, that, that health for me could, you know, it can come in a number of ways. Health can come in starting new churches, health can come in replanting, health can come in reorganization. But for me, uh, my passion is in the area of revitalization, which simply stated is taking an existing church and watching it get healthier from the inside instead of the outside. Mm. Uh, we're, we're currently in a position right now, depending on who's steady you see, uh, between 65 and 70 percent of churches are in a state of decline or plateau. I know that uh, uh, a, a recent uh, study that was uh, done by Lifeway Research put the number at 70. My team at uh, at uh, TomRainer.com had it at 65. So pretty pretty close uh, between those two. Yeah. So it, it, that is my passion, gentlemen, by far. Well, I uh, am very grateful uh, for one of your older books, actually. I planted a church uh, 20 years ago, and uh, we kind of got stuck at about the eight or nine year mark, and breakout churches came along. It was really helpful for us to refocus, and uh, was really grateful for that. So when you're looking at these plateaued and declining numbers, uh, lots of churches need that kind of help. Are you seeing that? Is that similar across all denominational lines? Is anybody getting on track <laughs> that way? I would say it's, it's uh, similar across most den denominational lines and a lot of non-denominational churches. There are some exceptions, and when you find those exceptions, they tend to be in a non-denominational church or more of a more of a uh, charismatic uh, church. So those are the two categories of churches. And so if you look at within some of the younger charismatic denominations and the non-denominations. Uh, that are charismatic, you would see a little bit of uh, better signs there, and uh, certainly more in non-denominational churches uh, than denominational churches as a whole. But whether you look at the largest Protestant denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, to some of the very smaller ones, most of those, if they've been around for 50 years or longer, most of those are represented by churches in decline. So it's endemic uh, really across North America and in a sort, certainly parts around the globe, but specifically North America. Wow. That's uh, a challenge that we face, uh, and we're facing it in the Alliance uh, as well. Are, are you seeing effective revitalization strategies in any particular denominations? If so, what are they doing that seems to be working? Okay, guys, I'm going, I'm going to give you a sneak preview because I haven't even discussed this <laughs> yet. Wow. Uh, Thank you. Edge. <laughs> I, hey, just, 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 to, just to let you know, I am not prepped for this. In fact, I'm not prepped for this interview, but I'm not prepped for this one in particular. <laughs> and you asked the question, and I can either uh, evade it or tell you what we are finding. Part of my 
part of my transition into this new world it has been the creation of two organizations. One is called Church Answers, and then its sister nonprofit is called Revitalized Network. And in the Revitalized Network, we have begun working with, uh, a, I'd say, a few denominations at this point, but it looks like it's going to be several, not to mention non-denominational churches. And uh, we, we, we have been going through the process of what's effective. I don't want to be so pragmatic as to say what's working, but what's effective and what is not. And then how do you determine the word effective in a revitalization? Certainly, you can look at numerical uh, turnaround, but is it a real healthy numerical turnaround? Mm-hmm. Not going to get you, give, get you into all the criteria. And this is not a research project. This is on the field work that we're doing. And basically, there are two things that are taking place in uh, revitalized churches that are common to all or common to most. Let me don't want to overstate the case, but common to most. The first of the first of these is the, a, a simple outward focus on one thing Now that's that's filled with all kind of words. You know, what is an outward focus? An outward focus is the church intentionally trying to reach and minister to its community. One thing means that there are no other things at the moment that are cluttering that focus. They're not going in several programmatic directions, ministry directions. They're highly focused on that one thing. So that's one characteristic. The newest research that we have, and I'll be talking to a denominational leader next week as of uh, the recording of this podcast. The other thing that we're finding is you can have more effective revitalization if you revitalize according to the person, the the I call it the revitalized personality of the leader. We're trying to do cookie cutter revitalization, and what we're finding is if you can if you can understand the revitalized personality of the leader, you can then equip that leader with other tools for revitalization. For example. There, there could be the the shepherd revitalizer who who really has a heart to love people, to minister to people, to care for people. That's one of the personality profiles. That leader needs a different set of equipping tools than, say, the growth leader who is going to be uh, naturally in the community, but may have some issues of keeping the church together while leading the community. Now, I could go on and on, but I just want to say the two things that we have discovered very simply an outward focus on one thing, and then secondly, understanding the unique personality of the leader to equip that leader for revitalization. I hope that made sense and I hope it wasn't muddled because I wasn't, I wasn't prepared, but I, I hope that makes a little bit of sense to you. Made a lot of sense. That made a uh, whole lot of sense. I love that Extremely helpful. Extremely helpful. Love that second part. Uh, you know, the first part seems a little like, yeah, that makes sense right away, but that's a little bit more uh, counterintuitive to understand the pr- personality of the leader to, to trade it, you know, kind of cater it to that. That's beautiful. So, and and uh, what what I finished, <laughs> you talk about timing. What I finished at about midnight last night before <laughs> this recording was the first draft of the uh, revitalizer personality profile. Basically, eighty questions on a Likert scale that helps leaders determine what profile they really are, so that they can then uh, uh, have the right resources and the right coaching to move forward. Man, Love that it. sounds fantastic. Love it. So. Obviously, all these churches need uh, to be revitalized, but what are the most common causes for plateau or decline in the first place? Uh, 
it's, it's really the biblical issue of forgetting your first love. Mm. If, if, if Christ is indeed our first love, we cannot help but practice the great commandment and the great commission. And the, the, the great commission specifically, not just Matthew 28, but all of the outward focus passages of the New Testament uh, is, is something that tends to get on the back burner pretty quickly. We're finding that churches are becoming established, which means they could become candidates for revitalization at that point. They're becoming established at age five. It used to be around age 20. And so now even new churches are moving, newer churches, five years and older, are moving into patterns of established. Uh, I use that as a noun instead of an adjective, moving into patterns of established because it's, it's very simple. They get so busy doing good things, they forget the great thing. Mm. And the great thing is the great commission. So that's part of it. The other part of it is there's a natural entropy tendency in churches that need revitalization. And what I mean by that, not only does the leadership start moving inwardly in terms of the focus, the members do as well. And so church becomes more preferential than it becomes really biblical. And so church becomes about my length of service, my style of worship music, uh, my time of day. And the church becomes more focused about three people, me, myself, and I. Yeah. Oh and when that happens, revitalization is desperately needed. There's a third category. I've talked about, one, the lack of outward focus. Two, the fact that uh, many, many churches are, have become preferential instead of biblical in their approach to reaching forward. And, then, and, and then, the, then the third one is just very simply lack of know-how. We don't necessarily, we do not have dumb leaders, but many times we have uninformed leaders who will readily admit, I don't know what to do in the culture. When the culture was so much pro-Christian, and even if uh, even if the community that we were in the Christian, the, the culture of 10, 15, 20 years ago would be primarily a Christian culture. And that was an easier way to reach people. But the reality of it is, whether you are in Spokane, Washington, or Nashville, Tennessee, cultural Christianity is either dead or dying. And that used to be the easy growth of churches. It was not necessarily the healthy growth, but it was the easy growth. And so that person that thought it was culturally acceptable acceptable for his or her business went to church. The person that thought it was culturally acceptable for their political posture in the community went to church. The the person, the, the, the stay-at-home mom that thought in order to be accepted in the neighborhood, uh, I needed to go to church, went to church, whether or not they were Christians. In many cases, they were not. That was the easy growth that churches used to reach. That growth is gone. And as a result, churches are having to get back to more New Testament, biblical, Great Commission approaches in order to reach people. Wow. Very helpful. That, that was a mouthful. I apologize for all those. No, words. no that was fantastic. That was great. That was great. So uh, I repeatedly read your book, Breakout Churches, that uh, Alan mentioned uh, earlier and took, took a couple of pastors uh, through that as well. And I remember the story of uh, the first church you pastored that had dropped from, give or take the numbers, I don't remember exactly, 190 to 120. But when you asked people how the church was doing, they would all say, oh, we're stable. 
And uh, mm-hmm. I, I recall being in a church a couple of years ago. Alan was there, in fact, where we asked uh, a very sick church how healthy they were on a scale of one to 10. And, and the lead elder and church chief said, oh, we're an eight. And I'm thinking we're an eight. <laughs> and I about fell off my chair. So sometimes <laughs> it's hard for sick churches to admit uh, that they're sick. So how, how would you uh, suggest to a pastor or a leader uh, ways to help a church understand and admit that there's a problem and begin to address it? Many churches are no longer looking at numbers. Numbers have gone out of vogue. When the church growth movement began with Donald McGovern in 1955 with his publication of The Bridges of God and then ended up really focused in Fuller Seminary and then spreading throughout the United States, there was a great emphasis on numerical growth. Numbers were not necessary ultimate, but they were paramount. There has been a backlash reaction to that over the over the last oh, 15 to 20 years, probably 20 years. And just like any pendulum that swings, whereas aspects of the church growth movement were too focused on numbers, where we are now is we are not following metrics sufficiently. I understand that numbers are not even penultimate or ultimate, but they are important. Many people end up on the side of the road because they fail to look at the metric that they're running out of gas. And that's just a reality. Many people uh, get into bad health because they're not looking at metrics of weight or blood pressure or whatever the case may be. It's very simple. If we're willing to face reality with the first step of following some metrics. And some metrics are very, very simple. One of the metrics is simply worship attendance. That's become the standard uh, attendance measure. Uh, Weekend worship, or or I now call it weekly worship since a number of churches worship other than uh, Saturday, Sunday days. But that that is one of them. Uh, Another one is weekly per capita giving. How much does every person give per week on the average? Another one is conversion growth. How does the church count the number of people who have become followers of Christ and have become a part of that local body? So if leaders can just simply present that, that information to them, I have been involved in, gosh, Back, I started I started a consulting uh, organization called Church Growth Visions in 1988. It became Rainer Group in 1994. Uh, when I went to Lifeway, I handed it off to my son, Sam, and now I'm back at it as Church Answers. Over that time, uh, we've looked at on site over 500 churches. And I can tell and thousands and thousands otherwise, but on site 500 churches over the time since 1988. And I can tell you, unequivocally, that when we present numbers, just basic charts, this is where your church has been, then most of the time the members are absolutely shocked. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so simple, but what do we do to find out if we're sick? Well, put a thermometer in our mouth and put a, put a cuff around us for, for blood pressure. That's, those are metrics. It is not an end in itself, but it should be a beginning. We should look at metrics from a healthy point of view. Okay, soapbox, uh, off the soapbox and back to reality. <laughs> well, I just want to say a hearty amen to that. Absolutely. So, thank you. I've heard Terry say mem- um, numerous times that numbers don't tell the whole story, but they tell an important part of the story. There you go. Exactly. So the church has now admitted that it's plateaued or decline, and they have to do something, take some serious measures. 
What are the key first steps for them to take after they've admitted where they are? Two words, outward and few, outward and few. I keep coming back to the simplicity of moving the church to emphasize one thing outwardly. And I mean, really emphasize it. I'm going to give an example that's actually a resource of ours. It sounds like I'm, I'm trying to uh, uh, get some free advertising, but I'm, I, my, my purpose in it really is to give it as, as an illustration. But so outward in, in its simplicity and in, in one thing, and then the willingness, the willingness to to move forward with that. So let's 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 talk about it. one of the one of the things that we have been using to help uh, churches uh, with with this outward is uh, we we have uh, we said okay what is it that's holding churches back from being an outward focus and most of the time it is two things consistency and waiting on everybody to get on board. Well, we're addressing that in revitalization by we're saying, okay, if you do one thing, whatever that one thing is outwardly focused, you got to stick with it. It can't be a programmatic fad for three months and then you're gone. Uh, You have to stick with it 18, 24 months, that one thing. And the other thing is the few. If you wait for everybody to get on board, you will, the, the organization will die waiting for everybody to go along with it. So you have to accept the fact that only a few will buy into an outward focus if you're in need of revitalization. So just as an example, one of the tools that we created was called Pray and Go. And Pray and Go was created in order to do three things, get our congregations praying more, getting them going more, and doing so in a non-threatening way with a few people. It's a very simple concept. Uh, You go into your community where it's not gated, you go in front. You you walk in front of a house. You pray for that home, and then you put a door hanger uh, on on the door and says, "We pray for you and your family." And you give contact information if they need follow up. Just as simple as that. Yeah. We begin. We we've begun prototyping that, and the the fact that it's getting people praying, the fact that it's getting them going, and the fact that if a small church only has three or four people, just you know, let's let's do let's do the math. Let's say you have four people going out twice a month, that's eight visits to 10 homes each, because you can do a home in just a few seconds. So that's, that's let's see if I'm doing my, uh, that's 80. And then if you do that 12 months out of the year, that's 960 or, or roughly a thousand people. So with four people committed to 30 to 60 minutes twice a month, you can hit 100 homes. That's what we have been doing. Now let's go back to the principle instead of the resource. The principle is you're getting your people in a mode of prayer so that this will be God-empowered, not human-centered. Secondly, you're getting them physically going. So many of the things that we do, we pay for others to go for us. You're getting them physically going. Third, you're doing so in a non-threatening, low-key matter that involves only a few people. Those we It's taken us years to get to the point where we are using that kind of resource are a similar resource. It's not the program or the resource as much as it is the principles behind it. That's where we're beginning to see revitalization efforts move from 10% of success to now we're approaching 50% of success. Wow. If that, become, if that becomes emblematic throughout North America, that is revival. And I think Love it. the first word of that is critical, is prayer. Yeah. Amen. Love Ooh, it. That was powerful stuff. Thanks. Like it. 
I think you touched on this question earlier, so I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I'll be interested to hear. We all believe that uh, leadership is a vital piece of, a, of the turnaround equation. So when do we need to see the leader step aside as opposed to helping that leader make some changes in their leadership style? It's, it's, it's really individual, and there is not a formulaic approach to it because the reasons for stepping down are so entwined in the person. Let, let's, let's give some, let, let me give you some practical examples of when I've actually either agreed with the leader or suggested to the leader that the leader step down. One of those examples was where the, the, the entire family was so hurt by the church that the kids, teenagers, had dropped out of church, the wife had dropped out of church, and the family was holding together tenuously. And I told the pastor, I said, it's time for you to step aside. And uh, uh, he, he, he did not. Uh, he ended up getting fired shortly thereafter. But that was one case where the pastor uh, needed to step aside. It was, it was hurting the family. What does Paul tell Timothy when he's writing to him his pastoral epistle? How can you lead the church if you cannot lead your own family? I mean, that's about as clear as it can be. So that, that is one of the situations. There are other situations where leaders have been beaten up so much they need a break. And they just, keeping them there is counterproductive for them and the church. And it's, it's again, how much have they been beaten up? You know, to what degree? But that's, that, that is definitely another issue. A third issue is a call. Now, however we define the call, if we're not where God wants us to be, it's time to step aside. And I've talked to too many pastors in particular who have gone into pastoral ministry because it was the family business. To uh, I could use air quotes for that, but you understand what I'm saying. It's right. just what they've <laughs> it's what dad did, granddad did. So I'm supposed to do it, but mm, God hadn't even affirmed this in me. So that that is the situation. And then there's some people to get to to go from biblical to Jim Collin esque. Uh, good, great. There, there's some people who may be on the bus. In other words, they should be in local church ministry, but they're on the wrong seat. Maybe they, they are not equipped to be the leader. And so it's not a matter of moving them out from local church ministry as it is moving them over to another place uh, uh, within the local church. Those are four examples that I have encountered fairly commonly. Yeah, very helpful. Well, that is really good stuff. And you're just giving us some really helpful direction here question that kind of builds off of that, I think, is, you know, how much of the problem when you face a church in decline is spiritual, the sin issues or some kind of repentance needs to happen, need of a fresh move of the spirit versus the logistical leadership or doing the right uh, activities, so to speak, or training people? I think at the heart of all of these, they're, they're all spiritual. And, and I understand what you're saying, you know, what, what is it where we could give some just a few practical tips to, uh, to, to help the leaders and there's not sin involved. So I understand the distinction uh, that you're making. In, in, many, in many churches, uh, the, 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 the sin is not what we typically classify as a moral failure, either with the pastor or the people. Uh, the, the, the sin is apathy. And, mm-hmm. and the, the problem with the sin of apathy, it is not easily recognized. And when we have moral failure as sin, uh, it is once that comes to light, people say, oh, yeah, that that definitely is sin. But the, the sin of apathy is something that is that is not easily uh, recognized. 
I really think that the Bible speaks to that very clearly early church. I'm talking about a church just a few months old uh, when when um, the Grecian widows and the, the Hebrew widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, specifically the Grecian widows were, and there began to be dissension. If you go back to Acts 6 and you look at that word, it's the same. If you transliterate that word back to the Hebrew from the Greek, it's the same word that was used for murmuring in the wilderness. So even that early in the church, there was a lack of focus on what we should be doing. And so as a result, what happened? The leaders, the apostles said, we've got to turn this ministry over to the seven led by Stephen. And in Acts 6, 4, what do they say? We will turn this ministry over to them and we will give our focus to the ministry prayer and to the ministry of the word. The result of that at the end of that pericope, the end of that passage is several things. Uh, Number one, more people uh, came to faith. Uh, Number two, even some of the priests who who were some of the hardest to reach uh, became followers of Christ. So my point in all of this Apathy can take place really quickly, and it and it is obviously evident in the early church that it took place really quickly. And if the apostles had not done a few things to reignite the church, there would have there would have been all kinds of problems there. I could go into a lot of other issues. There are location issues. Uh, there there's facility issues. Uh, there's untrained leadership. Quite frankly, I would love to see. A world of uh, we sometimes call them coaches, but uh, just people to walk alongside pastors and leaders uh, because they don't have anybody to, to, to speak into them or to, to get feedback from. So there are a lot of other issues, but I really wanted to focus on the single issue that seems more pervasive. And that's the issue of apathy. Yeah, that's fire. Yeah. So, uh, Tom couple of easy cop-outs for struggling churches right now would be just to say, wow, it's a culture. Uh, we're in this post-Christian era, and the church just isn't going to thrive in this environment. Or as you point out in the early pages of uh, Scrappy Church, your, your uh, most recent book, you know, we can blame large churches, and they're multi-siting, and they're dropping a new site right in our neighborhood. We, we're never going to be able to overcome that. Would you uh, would you speak to those uh, excuses, please? They are that. I have yet to be in a community that does not have a significant number of people who presumably are not believers and definitely are not in church. Whether I'm looking at a rural community, small town, suburban or urban community, uh, there are there are always people to reach. Re- really deflecting blame is, is is as common as Adam and Eve. And it's, 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 it certainly was one of the early, early sins. And uh, uh, the serpent really took advantage of that by saying, did God really say? And so when, 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 we're, when we begin to cop out because it's the big church fault, well, guess what? You church of 60, God may not want or it may not be his plan for you to be another mega church. But that does that mean that you cannot reach 20 or 30 every year in the community. Another, you know, another part of the cop out is when we, when we say culture is the problem, my goodness, we got to go back and read the book of Acts. Don't tell me that that was a welcoming culture yeah. in, in terms of, of, <laughs> sure. of the faith. And look what happened there. I would encourage your listeners to read a classic book that was uh, re- recently, not recently, that was written in 1970 by Michael Green called Evangelism in the Early Church. 
Uh, Michael Green recently died, uh, but that, church, that book is a classic. I read it almost every year hmm. as a reminder of what the church could do if it's really following Christ instead of listening to the rest of the world. I can't buy those excuses because they're none present in the New Testament. Whew. So true. Thanks for speaking so straightforward to that. So in light of that, what does evangelism look for look like, you know, effective evangelism look like in a church today? Effective evangelism first is is intentional. That's the word that I have to use again and again and again. I, I hear people evaluating different types of evangelistic programs, approaches, methodologies, but the reality of it is if you're doing evangelism anyway. I like the way that you're doing it better than the way most people aren't doing it. So doing anything intentional <laughs> is, is just absolutely critical. God, God honors almost as long as we're, we're prayerful and listen to him, he's going to honor almost in any type of intentional effort. So the, the, the first word is intentional. How do we get intentional? Well, how many of us wake up every morning and say, Lord, according to your will, allow me to come in contact with someone this day with whom I may share my, the gospel in word or deed and just see just see what he does. So that's intentional. Then there's church intentionality. That's a point B of, of intentionality. What is the church doing? I mentioned pray and go, but there are a lot of ways that you can get churches moving beyond itself. So that, that word is intentional. The next word is relational. We have this battle going on between relational evangelism, what used to be called confrontational evangelism, and it's an unfortunate word because confrontational sounds negative, but speaking the gospel directly to someone as opposed to developing a relationship. If we're trying to choose between the two, we're creating a dichotomy in Scripture that does not exist. Evangelism was both relational and it was confrontational. There were times that the, the, the relationship could not build, so they had to be confronted with the truth claims of Christ without a relationship. But it's both and in Scripture. And, and so if, if, if the church is intentional, if the individual is intentional, everything else begins to flow. And I'm not as concerned about the methodology as I am the intentionality. That is some straight fire there. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. So we really appreciate you being with us today, uh, Tom. Uh, if... Uh our listeners are out there needing some uh, resources. Uh, where can we find uh, the stuff that you have available to help churches? Most most of the resources that we provide uh, from our podcast and from uh, Church Answers is at uh, TomRainer.com on the resources tab. Uh, there, there are several resources that uh, could be helpful, but I, I just got to say, uh, we, we we don't have an exclusivity market on resources. There are a lot of good ones out there from a lot of different places, but we have tr- we have really tried to focus ours on churches that need revitalization. So TomRainer.com and either slash resources or go to the resources tab, and you'll see a lot of ours. But there are plenty of them out there. And if you're in the uh, in an alliance church and coming to council, I would encourage you to. Get there early, uh, Tuesday morning, May 28th, starting at 8.30. Tom Rayner will be uh, uh, facilitating our uh, breakout on uh, equipping you pre-council for revitalization, church revitalization. So, Tom, we appreciate you being a part of that in May, as well as uh, being a part of this podcast today. Thanks so much for your investment in our Alliance pastors and leaders. Uh, Both Anne are an honor to me, both being here on the podcast and being with you in person. Looking forward to all of it. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. God bless you, and uh, 
Keep your passion for the church. We love it. Thanks for the leadership. <laughs> Thank you. All right. God bless. Well, Alan, I think I can speak for you when I say that was a great interview. Dr. You can Rainer speak for me. So I swear that I would say that, but you can speak for me Thank in this you. case. Thank you. Dr. Rayner gave us so much good stuff and, and stuff that's helpful to our churches out there that are plateaued and declining, or all of our churches really uh, can gain uh, something from what Dr. Rayner uh, said today. A lot of people listening out there, I'm sure. Alan, what should they do? Well, as always, they should. Just like last season, this season, they should share it with their friends, you know, share it with another pastor. Matter of fact, I think this would be a great episode to sit down with another pastor, listen to it and say, hey, how can we help each other put this into action? Uh, and please do rate us and review us where you listen to it, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, because that actually helps get it to more people. And we need a lot of pastors and leaders, not just Alliance ones, but others to hear a great interview like today's was. And uh, while you're sitting down talking to one another, uh, think about getting a coach too or calling in a consultant because it really helps to have somebody walk alongside you as you seek to see turnaround in your church. Uh, turn around so that more and more people are coming to know Jesus Christ Amen. as their it. Lord and Savior. Thanks for listening to Equipping You Podcast. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You Podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.